Well, at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And as Luke tells the story, in Luke chapter 1, an angel appears to a virgin named Mary. And the angel says to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now this is shocking and amazing news. And Mary's response to the angel is, how can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Now this is a powerful, powerful announcement. And I've got to imagine that when Mary hears these words, she's absolutely confused. And of course, she blurts out the most obvious question that is circling in her mind. I'm going to have a baby? <laughs> How is that possible? I've not slept with a man. And so the angel answers that question. But surely she has other questions rolling around in her mind at the same time. This is just the most pressing. But as she reflects back on this astounding pronouncement, surely she has to wonder, my baby is going to have the throne of his father David? He's going to reign over Jacob's descendants, over the nation of Israel forever? How does that work? Forever? He's to be called the son of God? What does that mean? How does that work? And so God in his kindness gives Mary a sign to help her believe and to function as an explanation to her of what all this means. And the sign is that a barren woman, a woman who has been infertile her entire life, her cousin Elizabeth, is going to have a baby. And that miracle, which is a miracle, is meant to help explain to Mary what's going to happen with her. And understanding the miracle with Elizabeth is going to enable Mary to understand Christmas. And so this morning, we too want to understand what does it mean that this baby that was born of this virgin Mary is the son of God. And so we too want to understand the sign that Mary was given so that we can get what Christmas is about.
So when Mary hears that her cousin Elizabeth, who's been unable to have children for all her life, is already in her sixth month, this explains to Mary what's going to happen to her. See, Mary is not infertile. She's not barren. She's not even slept with a man. But the miracle with Elizabeth becomes the explanation for Mary and for us. How? Well, it draws Mary back to a story in the Bible that explains Elizabeth's situation and Mary's situation and our situation today. So what I'd like to invite you to do is to take a Bible. If you don't have one, there's one in the rack in front of you. And turn to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you're using one of the church Bibles, that's page 213. And we're going to turn to the story that Mary thought of when the angel says, to help you understand... Your cousin Elizabeth is going to have a baby. And the story that Mary thought of, the story that God gave to make sense of Christmas, is a story in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And it's about another barren woman, a woman named Hannah. Hannah's married to a man named Elkanah who is a good and kind husband. Elkanah also happens to have another wife, which may make you think that doesn't sound so good or kind. This is how the culture in part worked. It was not ideal back then. It is certainly not ideal today. Elkanah has another wife. It was allowed back then, not allowed today. And this other wife has lots of kids. And she is described as Hannah's rival, and she uses the fact that she's got all these kids to rub Hannah's face in the fact that she's infertile and that she's barren. So we pick up the story in chapter 1, verse 7. This went on, the provoking, year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Now Elkanah responds to Hannah's pain at infertility the same way I would probably respond. Which is, okay, life's not so great. But think on the bright side. You've got some positives going on, don't you? This is how men often respond. <laughs> but it ignores the pain of infertility. Elkanah doesn't understand that probably Hannah feels broken as a woman. That she feels that her body doesn't work the way it was designed to work. It says this went on year after year. I can't imagine what it would be like month after month to get your hopes up only to have it become immediately obvious to you 
and to everybody else that you're not pregnant. And just the devastation month after month after month after month for year after year. Elkanah, in his kindness and ignorance, offers her food. He's trying to be a good husband, so he gives her more food. But he doesn't understand there is a deep-seated hunger. She wants a baby. She wants to be a mom. And that is a hunger that food is never going to satisfy. And there is this deep longing. She feels like she was created to do this and she can't do it. And she wants nothing more than a baby. And food is simply not going to satisfy. And maybe worst of all, she has someone who spitefully throws this in her face constantly. Now, we don't get as much of that today. We're a little more sort of like polite. But still for people who struggle with infertility today. You can find yourself at a corporate function and sitting across a lunch table from somebody you don't know who says, oh, do you have children? No, why not? Don't you want them? Not understanding just the daggers that that sends into the heart. Well, Hannah can't take it anymore. And so she gets up and she leaves. Verse 9. Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the house of the Lord. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. She leaves the party because why not? In her infertility, she feels probably invisible, unimportant, isolated, alone. Why not go be alone in the temple? She leaves everybody else, the celebration, her husband, the other woman, all the children, all the noise, all the celebrating. Nobody even notices she's gone. She sneaks off in her isolation and her invisibility. And she cries out to the Lord in great anguish and incredible grief. Probably she's protesting the unfairness of it all. God, why do some women get to have babies and I don't? We know this feeling even if you're not infertile. You know the feeling of crying out to God, God, why? Why don't you do for me what you do for others? Lord, why don't you help me in the midst of this financial situation? You're helping them. God, what about me? And we cry out to God, have you forgotten? Do you not remember me in the pain? In the struggles? With the wayward child? With the health situation? With the difficulties at school? With the struggles on the basketball team? God, have you forgotten about me? 
Well, in her agony and grief, Hannah is pouring out her heart to the Lord in prayer. And another man who doesn't understand thinks she's drunk. The priest is like, what are you doing? You see, he's never prayed like this. He's never prayed with that kind of deep-seated anguish. And so verse 15, she replies, not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. I tried to talk to some people this week about the pain of infertility. And I took some of the things that I heard in one of the statements, and I can't exactly remember where I got it from, but kind of pieced it together, went something like this. The worst part of it is not that having a child is so far away. It's that it's so close, but just out of reach. Month after month, a roller coaster of emotions. In vitro fertilization, surgeries, doctor visits. It feels like you are pursuing something so central to life that feels maddeningly out of reach. This is true not just for infertility, but in reality, we know this feeling in other areas as well. God, it's not that life's so terrible, life's great. But there are aspects of life in which you want to cry out to God and go, God, you could fix this. God, you could do this. Lord, you could give us a baby right now. Lord, you could heal me of this sickness. All you have to do, Lord, is just say the word and I would be healed. God, you can help me with these student loans. You could just pay them off right now. God, you could give me more playing time on this basketball team. Lord, I'm in misery. I would love God to be used. God, you could take care of the fact that math is so hard for me or I'm struggling at school. God, if I just had one friend, just one friend. This is the pain. It's not that all of life is miserable. It's not. Like Shelley reminded us this morning, there's lots of great things in life. But the thing that's so difficult is it does feel like there is that thing or that somehow all of life is just a little bit out of reach. And that popularity and food or technology or sex or money None of those things will ever get us there. And we live our lives feeling like it's just around the corner. It's just out of reach. That's how Hannah feels. So close. And God, you could do this. Verse 19. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. 
And I can only imagine the joy. I mean, this is her heart's desire. And God, in his kindness and in his mercy, he gives her a baby. And she can't help but pour out her rejoicing. So if you will, turn over one chapter to chapter two and listen to her prayer, her praise at what God did for her. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows. And by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken. But those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food. But those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children. But she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and the Lord makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. What we find out in Hannah's praise is that her story is our story. Whether or not we've struggled with literal barrenness or not, life itself is barren. And Hannah is not just rejoicing that God gives babies. She does rejoice. She also is rejoicing that God gives money to those who are in poverty. God gives food to those who are hungry. God gives honor to those who have been embarrassed or ashamed. God gives life to those who have experienced death. Barrenness, it turns out, is something that is incredibly painful that some people experience, but it's also a metaphor for the painfulness of all of life. That all of us in our difficulties at school or at work or in family, whatever it may be, experience the barren, dry wilderness that this life is because of sin. And what Hannah is rejoicing is the God who saw her in her anguish and grief and invisibility sees us in ours. And he responds. How? With a baby. With a baby. This is God's response to the struggles and sufferings of life, not just infertility, 
but the struggles and suffering of having two parents who are divorced where you got to go to one family for Christmas and then another family for Christmas and all of the fighting and the difficulty and you're just asking why can't mom and dad have a whole marriage relationship. He gives us a baby in the midst of the trouble that we have with a wayward child where you're so desperate. Please, would you just come home? Please, would you just listen? He gives us in the midst of the struggle in which you're like, what am I going to do when the exam scores come back and I find out how badly I did this semester? In the midst of the struggles of life, God gives a baby. You see, I know that this is the story on Mary's mind to make sense of Christmas, that first Christmas, because this is the song of praise that she quotes from. When she goes to visit Elizabeth, it's this song of praise that is on Mary's lips. And it turns out that the key to her understanding what was happening to her, Mary, And the key to us understanding what God is doing at Christmas is in the last line of Hannah's song. Hannah says, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now, if we were going to translate this out of Hebrew, we would have said, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his Messiah. This is the Hebrew word Mashiach. When you transliterate it into English, you just get Messiah. If we did this from Greek, it would say, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his Christ. Christ is just the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah or Mashiach. What Hannah is talking about, although she doesn't understand all the, difficult, all the, all the details is that in the difficulties of life, God's response is that he gives Jesus. This is the meaning of Christmas. This is what Mary is supposed to understand. God is taking her back to this story of Hannah, and although Mary is not barren, Mary's like, I'm getting a baby I wasn't even asking for. God says, your cousin Elizabeth, who has been infertile, She's going to miraculously have a baby. And this will be the explanation to you and to us of what Christmas means. And the explanation is this. Barrenness is both a reality for some and a metaphor for all of the pains of this life. It represents the difficulties of growing up in this world. It represents the barrenness in the political world in which we live. It represents the hardship of going through a first Christmas without a loved one. It represents the mounting college debt that you're being buried under. It represents all the things of life. It's not that life is miserable. It's that what life is supposed to be feels like it's just out of reach. And that you can't get to it. And in the midst of it, God sees us. And he remembers us. And he gives us Jesus. Now for some here, you're not yet a Christian. 
You may think you are because you're like, well, I, I guess I'm not Muslim or Buddhist or something else, so maybe I'm Christian. That's not how it works. You see, at Christmas, we give presents. Presents are useless unless you open them. They don't do you any good if you return them to the store. What God is saying at Christmas is in the midst of your, and I don't know your story, but whatever suffering it is, the loss of a loved one, the, 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 the broken marriage, the difficulties at school, whatever it may be, in the midst of that struggle, God is giving you a gift. And that gift is Jesus. And all you have to do is unwrap and accept the gift. You're like, well, what does that mean? It just simply means this. It takes faith because you can't see the gift. It's not a, it's not a wrapped present. But this morning, God is saying to you, I see you. I hear your cries. You may not have known you were crying for help. You may have thought you were just complaining to a friend. You may have thought you were just brooding about it in your mind. You may have thought you were just pursuing something to try to fill that emptiness, but God knows what that is at its core. It is a cry for help. It is a cry for life to be what it was designed to be. It was a cry like Hannah's cry out of deep anguish and longing. Somebody help me. And God has heard that cry. And whether you're five years old or a college student or a senior adult, whatever the situation is, God is hearing your cry for help, even if you think you're not crying. And he responds with this gift. And you have a choice. You can either accept and you simply say, okay, God, I don't even, I don't even get it, but I accept or you can leave the gift wrapped under the tree and wait for next year. Now, for those of us who are Christians, we have accepted the gift. But this Christmas season, let me remind you that God's gift is always Jesus. See, Mary's life didn't suddenly become super easy once she got pregnant. It got a lot harder. And once God gave her the initial gift of Jesus, life was very, very difficult. But what God continued to give her throughout her life was the gift of Jesus. And that what we are to be reminded of this Christmas season is whatever we think we're crying out to God for, Help with our college debt, help with school, more playing time on the basketball team, difficulty getting through the first holiday season having lost a loved one, infertility. In the end, what we're actually crying out to God for is Jesus. And what God gives to us every Christmas and every time we ask is Jesus. And that's why Jesus says to us, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Now you can read those first two and go, I get whatever I ask for. No. You get what your soul is truly asking for. Which is what the next phrase says. Knock and the door will be opened. 
do cars or college debt or playing time on basketball team, do they open doors? People open doors. And who's opening that door? Jesus. When you pray, you are knocking on the door of heaven. And God says, who do you think is going to open it? And the one who opens the door and walks into the situation is Jesus. And for those of us who are Christians, let me just encourage us to say, when you're crying out to God, God, please, please don't let the family fight at Christmas this year. What you're ask, actually asking God for is, God, would you send Jesus to be with me at this family event? And when you're begging God, would you just put my parents' marriage back together? What you're really asking God for is, Jesus, would you come in and do something in this situation? And when you're facing the first Christmas without the husband or the wife that you've spent a whole life with, or when you're feeling the invisibility or the aloneness of the single life, what you're really asking God for is, Jesus, will you be with me? Will you put your arm around me? Will you walk with me in this pain? And the great news from Hannah's song, from Mary's rejoicing, is that God always says yes. He always sends Jesus. And the gift at Christmas and at every other day is God's personal presence with us. He is near to the brokenhearted. He brings comfort to those who are hurting. In this world in which there is no peace, he gives peace. So please be reminded, what we're all really asking for at Christmas is Jesus. This is why in Luke 2, when the angel tries to explain why this is such great news, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the stress of Christmas. Don't be afraid of going back to school. Don't be afraid of not having any friends when you go back to college. Don't be afraid of facing the difficulties of this cancer diagnosis that you've been given. Don't be afraid because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people, all the shepherds outside of Bethlehem, all the people living in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and all the people in Grand Rapids, Michigan here today. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the fulfillment of Hannah's prayer, the fulfillment of all of our cries of anguish and grief and isolation and invisibility, all of the longings if we could just have what life was meant to be. God hears us, He sees us, He remembers us, and He has given us Jesus, the Lord. That's why we say Merry Christmas. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, who are we that you should treat us this way? God, most of us at Christmas, we're asking for a new bike or a new friend or a new savings account or a new boyfriend, a new child, 
And what we got back was a gift far beyond anything we could ever imagine. Your son, given to us. And God, I pray that we would remember if you did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us, how will you not through him freely give us all things? This is genuinely the gift that keeps giving forever and ever and ever. So God, I pray for those who are here today who are struggling with infertility. Lord, they didn't expect to come on Christmas Sunday and hear a message that cut to the heart and reminded them of this deep wound. But God, if you brought them here this morning, it's so that you can tell them that you see them and you remember them and you know them and you love them. And so I pray even now, God, would you flood them with your mercy and your kindness? Would you let them know they are not invisible? They are not alone. God, they are not broken. They are your daughters. God, I pray for those who are here who've not yet accepted this amazing gift. Oh, please, Lord, would you give them faith? Faith itself is a gift. Grant it, Lord. In your kindness and your mercy, Lord, they don't know that they've been crying out for Jesus all their life. Lord, they think they're just complaining about the fact that this world is broken. It is broken. God, would you show them that what they've been longing for, you have already given them. And Lord, would you give them faith to simply say yes. And Lord, for all of us, whatever our struggles are this Christmas season, please remind us we're not just praying for better grades or more friends or relief from financial stress or help uh, through a lonely Christmas. We're praying for Jesus. And thank you, God, that anytime we ask, we receive. Anytime we seek, we find. And every time we knock on the door of heaven, you give us the gift of Jesus. Give him to us again today. And remind us once again that Christmas is not a tradition we celebrate from 2,000 years ago. Christmas is a daily event where you give us the gift of your son. And because you gave us this gift, we pray these things in his name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.